You're listening to the Treasuring Christ Church podcast. At TCC, we believe that church isn't just like a family, but it is a family. We hope you're encouraged by listening to God's word today, but we would love to see you on Sundays at 1030. For more information, check us out online at tccannarbor.com. Uh, to be together this morning and uh, to um, have a time to worship. Um, nothing, uh, nothing better than hearing God's people sing uh, what's true about Him. And uh, now to, to open His Word to us. Uh, today is a special day as we recognize... <clears throat> today's a special day as we recognize our graduates. Um, at the end of our service, we'll have a time to do that and... Uh, because nobody wants a second sermon after the first sermon, I'm going to go ahead and include what I want to say to you uh, here at the beginning of our service to some of our graduates uh, who are here today that we have the chance to celebrate. Um, I I look back, and uh, each year I keep getting further and further away from my college graduation, and um, so I'm currently 14 years now away from my uh, college graduation. it's really a blur that day, uh, but the one thing I remember um, and the one thing that's particularly praiseworthy about my graduation is that Chuck Norris spoke at my graduation, and, um, <clears throat> and so uh, he also got an honorary doctorate that day. So, um, you know, uh, if you don't have an honorary doctorate, um, just hold out because if Chuck Norris can get one, um, I feel like uh, it's possible for, for us all, and so... Um, <clears throat> Uh, but that was that's another story uh, to tell. I don't have any good Chuck Norris uh, pithy statements uh, to you, um, but uh, I do uh, recall hearing a story that when Chuck Norris uh, left his uh, house to go to college, he told his dad, you're the man of the house now. Um, and so, um, <laughs> just kidding. Um, <clears throat> but as I think about uh, leaving leaving college and stepping into to what's next, uh, or graduate school and stepping into to further schooling or career, um, you're going to get a lot of wisdom uh, over the next uh, few days. Some of it, um, you could probably let it pass through one ear and, and out the other. Uh, others of it will come from people you love dearly and care about and you'll hold on to for the rest of your life. Um, memories uh, that you have, experiences that have shaped you, uh, what the Lord's done in your heart and your life. Um, I was just rejoicing last night uh, at the vision dinner for crew, just celebrating all that God has been doing uh, on campus at the U of M and uh, just remembering uh, how he's faithful to work uh, in and through students for the sake of the gospel. Um, and and I want to just give you a few, uh, four kind of words uh, to our graduates that I hope will be an encouragement, a challenge to you. And I think that hopefully they'll be an encouragement to any of us as we think about our lives and what God wants uh, to do with us. <clears throat> the first thing I, w- I would say to you is, is get wisdom. Get wisdom. I've been reading through Proverbs with a renewed sense um, here over the last month or two, and I'm just reminded that Scripture continually calls us uh, to, to walk with God and to walk in wisdom. Um, and when you read Proverbs, it, especially those first few chapters, it just uh, presents wisdom as, um, as someone standing in the street crying out uh, that, that we would listen to wisdom and that we would heed uh, its counsel and that we would walk in wisdom. And, and when you think about what it means to walk in wisdom, walking in wisdom, getting wisdom, Proverbs tells us, begins with fearing God. Um, and then when you think about uh, the things that Proverbs tells us, the kind of wisdom that God has given us, 
Uh, in many ways, it's the kind of stuff, the, the soft skills training that they're all telling you that you need. Like, it's in the book of Proverbs. It's wisdom. Uh, it, it's to, to be a person of integrity, to, to be diligent. You, you plow the crops, you, you plant the seeds when it's time so that when the harvest comes, you, you don't have anything to, to harvest unless you plant the seeds in time. And then you do, you, you have uh, fruit to harvest, vegetables to harvest. It's, it's diligence, it's, uh, it's honesty, it's the, uh, the kind of faithfulness and keeping your word and, um, <clears throat> and, and using your money with, with wisdom and not being self-centered and, and lavish and, uh, and focused only on yourselves, but caring for others. It looks like justice, looking out for the vulnerable, for the poor, the widow, the orphan. It, it's the, the kind of thing that so many people are clamoring for and trying to figure out in this world, and God has given it to us. Uh, and so as simple as it may sound, uh, I believe uh, as you step into this next stage of life, whatever it looks like for you, get wisdom. And the second, it follows closely with it, grow in godliness. Uh, there's going to be all kinds of things that you're tempted to give yourself to and your time to. There's things that you're going to have to give yourself to with work or the next stage of schooling or whatever it might be. Um, <clears throat> but as you think about what you want to grow in, when you, when you grow up, what you want to become, I can tell you the one thing that you want to become when you grow up is godly. Um, <clears throat> when I think about my prayer for my kids, I pray these two things. God, make them wise and make them godly. That's my prayer for our graduates, that, that God would make you wise and godly. And godliness, is, it, looks like, it looks like pursuing God and allowing him to call the shots in your life. It's whatever, maybe, maybe you have some form of godliness that's kind of maybe just on the external, checking the boxes of this and that. Uh, some of those things may be good, but, but what I'm here to tell you is to not spell out, don't do this, do this, don't do that, don't do this. What I'm here to tell you is look at Jesus and allow him to define your life. Um, and then you'll grow in godliness. And second, thirdly, uh, give yourself to God's mission through his church. There's no better investment in your life than to plant yourself in a church, an imperfect one, right? Uh, you, you won't find a perfect one, not only because if you join it, it'll be imperfect, but because there already are imperfect people in the church, right? Uh, there's, there's no perfect church, but God's church is called to his mission in the world, and there's no better investment. You've made an investment in the church in your time, uh, here at Treasuring Christ, and my prayer is if the Lord sends you out from here, and as we pray over and send you out, what we are praying over and sending you out to do is to join God in his mission wherever he takes you as you're a part of a healthy local church. Um, <clears throat> there's no plan B for the Great Commission, and there's no better investment for your life. And then I would just say this, uh, and this is, um, <clears throat> I don't have gray hair yet, but as I uh, look at those uh, that I appreciate and admire in my life that have demonstrated this over the long haul in big ways and in small ways. Go for faithfulness over the long haul. You might be able to shoot for success in the short term. You, you, might, you might have opportunities to take, and I'm not here to, to, um, to kind of pull back your ambition. I want your ambition to be full throttle, uh, motivated by God. But as you think about what you're going for in your life, go for faithfulness over the long haul. Time and time again, as I look at the people that I look up to, some of them you don't know, some of them you've never met, some of them maybe there are people in your life that you're like, wow, everybody looks up to them. Even the people that we know that, um, <clears throat> that we look up to, what, what consistently is modeled is not cutting corners, is, is not trying to, to, get somewhere, uh, to, to get somewhere where you don't work to get, but it's faithfulness over the long haul. It's true in godliness. It's true in work. 
It's true in our relationships. Go for faithfulness over the long haul. It may not be uh, as cool and uh, as, uh, as notable um, in the you know, 30 under 30 leader category, um, but it's, it's what will count uh, when you stand before God. Uh, and it's what ultimately will make a lasting difference in the lives of people around you. Um, and so um, just a few, a few words, uh, Lord willing, of encouragement to you. Uh, we're grateful for you. Can't wait to acknowledge and celebrate our graduates later. And, um, and hopefully um, as we do that, the Lord encourages you uh, today. So uh, that's my sermon before the sermon, uh, which seems better than the sermon after the sermon. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 3, uh, as we heard read this morning, uh, is where we're going to be uh, today. Uh, wrapping up our series on prayer called Teach Us to Pray. In Luke 11, Jesus' disciples ask him, uh, Lord, teach us to pray. Um, and, and Jesus responds by teaching them what we know today as the Lord's Prayer. And so for three weeks, we looked at the Lord's Prayer. And then three weeks, we looked at what's called the High Priestly Prayer in John 17. And if I could break those two down, basically in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us how to pray, a pattern for praying. He says, pray like this, pray with adoration, begin with hallowed be thy name, Uh, pray with submission, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then pray with dependence, God give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us, and lead us not into, into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Uh, we see this pattern that's supposed to mark our lives. We can pray the words, uh, but to pray the words without understanding the significance is pointless. Uh, but mostly to pray with this pattern of uh, adoration, submission, and dependence is what our prayer lives uh, should be about and what they should look like. Well, if the Lord's Prayer teaches us how to pray, we said the high priestly prayer shows us what Jesus prays for us. Uh, it's really a picture of Jesus' intercession for his church and he prays that God the Father might be glorified through his people the church being united in Christ that we are one because not of any commonality amongst us but because of a common confession a common faith in Jesus as savior and as lord and then as Christ as Christ is the one who unites us we're sanctified by his word we're set apart and made to be more like him and then not only are we sanctified we're not meant to be a holy huddle but we're meant to be sent right into the world uh, to bear witness to Christ and these two prayers are uh, just kind of foundational texts for us to help us to understand how to grow in prayer. Uh, and, and as we've been saying throughout this series, the best way to learn how to pray is just to pray. Um, as we hear and reflect on these things, they're meant to provoke us and challenge us uh, to press on in prayer, uh, to persevere in prayer. And last week and, and today, we brought conclusion to this. Last week was Easter Sunday. It's hard to believe. Um, we started this week with snow uh, falling on Monday. Um, like, I mean, that was like legit snow. Um, I mean, that would have been a sufficient snowstorm in like November. Uh, but instead, it was in April, and we ended it uh, yesterday with like 80-degree weather. Um, and so um, <clears throat> it was like a picture of uh, uh, of the you know, the, the sadness of the death on the cross on Friday and Sunday coming uh, of the weather uh, to come. Um, but we, we said as we looked last week at Jesus's final prayers on the cross, we saw something and Jesus's final prayers on the cross, they actually show us 
what he was accomplishing for us through the cross. That he was praying on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, my, he doesn't pray, say, Father, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He takes upon himself the sin of humanity, the judgment that we deserve for our sin upon himself on the cross. And then he prays, it is finished, and, and says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And we're reminded that the cross is enough for our salvation. There's in a world full of, uh, of things undone and work still to do, there's one thing that is completed. There's one thing that is finished, and that's the work of the cross. Jesus died in our place for our sin. And why the cross is good news is because the tomb is empty, because Jesus rose. It was true before on Palm Sunday. We've been celebrating it for 2,000 years. But on Easter Sunday, we remember it with, with particular significance that Jesus has risen. And because he's risen, we know that what he did was sufficient for our salvation. And we know that as we live today, he's sufficient for us to follow him until he returns. He has died, he has risen, and he is coming again. And so today, as we carry on from Easter Sunday, we carry on in light of what he has done. Why we're, why, the reason we're still gathering, the, the reason that the disciples, uh, even though they still were a little afraid, the reason they gathered together all the way up to that Pentecost Sunday is that they were waiting for the Spirit to come, but, but they were sure and confident that Jesus had risen from the dead. They were sure and confident that because he had risen from the dead, Peter's denial of him wasn't the final word, but forgiveness was the final word. Because he had risen from the dead, the disciples were sure that their fear and uncertainty about what was to come wasn't, uh, wasn't the last word, but they had a mission to do, to make disciples of all nations, to bear witness to Jesus until he returns. And it's interesting, as we move on from the resurrection, what the church was waiting for uh, in between the resurrection uh, appearances of Christ and Pentecost Sunday was to be sent on mission. And as we think about how to wrap up this series on prayer, I couldn't think of a better topic than to think about praying for the spread of the gospel. It was what the church was gathering to do all the way in Acts 2 as they were gathered together there in the upper room waiting for the Spirit to come. And when the Spirit came, Peter didn't hesitate to do what Jesus had called him to do, to stand up and bear witness to Christ. And the mission was on. And ever since that day, the church has been about the mission of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, seeking to faithfully share the Word of God. Wherever God sent them, whatever God was calling them to do, they carried on this mission of spreading the gospel. And so today I want us to think about what it means for us to be a church that prays for the spread of the gospel and prays for God to use us for the spread of the gospel. As we pray, we not only are asking God to do something that we are spectators of, but as we pray for the spread of the gospel, we move from being spectators to being participants in the work that God is ultimately calling us to do. Uh, and so 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> the first, I want us to see, uh, first point I want us to see is the spread of the gospel. It says there in verse 1, <clears throat> finally, or in addition, um, it's kind of, a, you can tell Paul is a preacher because he says finally here, but then he goes on to give this whole warning 
about irresponsible behavior and work and idleness in the church in verses 6 through 16 before he actually gets to the, to the end of the book. And so it's like he got started, but he remembered something, you know. And, um, and so he says, finally, it's really less of him doing that and more of him just saying, in addition, or here's another thing that I want to say to you. But here he doesn't instruct them as much as he requests of them prayer. He says, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. You see, I think Paul is such a helpful model for us uh, for what it means to be a prayerful Christian. He consistently not only tells people, the believers that he's ministering to, that he's praying for them, but he often tells them what he's praying for. I find such encouragement. I'm not saying we have to say this every time you say to somebody, I'm praying for you. And by the way, here's what I'm praying for you. Um, but, but what an encouragement it is occasionally to do that, to say to someone, I'm praying for you, and here's what I'm praying for you. Uh, and I'm not just praying that your bones don't break and that the sickness leaves, but I'm praying for your soul. I'm praying for your spiritual health. I'm praying that you might not uh, give in to temptation. I'm pray- praying that you might grow in faith and, and your love for God and your love for others. I'm praying God would help you put to death your, your anger and your impatience towards your kids um, or that, that you would be able to be a peacemaker in your workplace. Like Just to, to be able to encourage people with the specific things that you're praying for them. Paul often does that, and I don't have time to spell all out, uh, but if you look either at the beginning or the end of all of Paul's letters, you can find him almost in every circumstance saying to the churches he writes to or to the individuals he writes, here's how I'm praying for you. And then not only that, but, but here he is requesting prayer from others. Now, it's, it's, it's a, uh, a habit and a discipline in, in our lives as believers that we should we should be asking others that, that can we pray for you, but also that we shouldn't be shy in asking others to, to pray for us. And you think about this. This is like Paul, the, the Apostle Paul, like the missionary par excellence, you know, like this is the dude. And he's like, pray for me. Pray for us. Like if anybody knows how to share the gospel, if anybody's confident in their ability to share the gospel, it's got to be the Apostle Paul. And yet... Here he is to the Thessalonian believers asking them who this church most likely has existed for a few years. They're not much older than us. And he says, hey, pray for me. Pray for us as we continue to share the gospel. And he says, pray that the word of the Lord would advance. The, the word of the Lord is another way to, uh, to describe the gospel. I, I don't have time to unpack this, but if you look in Acts 13, uh, 26 uh, through 30, Paul preaches the gospel to, uh, to the group that's gathered there. And as he preaches the gospel, he spells out how Jesus um, <clears throat> died on the cross uh, for our sins and he was raised from the dead. Um, and through his death and resurrection, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed and everyone who believes in him is justified and they're justified in Christ in a way they couldn't be justified through the law of Moses. And, and after the gospel is preached, the summary statement that's given in verses 44 through 52, it says that all the people gathered together to hear the word of the Lord. And it says at the end that the word of the Lord began to, to spread uh, and the word of the Lord uh, had favor uh, in, um, in this area as Paul was sharing the gospel there at Antioch. And uh, we see the word of the Lord and the gospel are synonymous terms um, in, uh, in, in much of the New Testament. The word of the Lord could also at times refer to just the, 
revelation of God in, in the Bible and in the, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but often the word of the Lord is used specifically in reference to the message of the gospel, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And Paul is praying here in 2 Thessalonians that it would, the word that he uses is that it would spread rapidly and be honored. To, to spread rapidly literally means to proceed quickly without restraint. The, the emphasis is especially on not being restrained, that the obstacles would be removed, that the word of the Lord would, would speed ahead. And, and as he prays this, it's, it's not merely, I think it's easy to, to sometimes measure success based upon how quick something happens or how many people respond. We, we do this uh, in terms of our own uh, business and work. We want efficiency. We, we need things to be done in a timely manner and in a costly manner. And sometimes we, uh, and that's good and has its own place. And sometimes we can have the same view of spiritual success that we, we think about it only in terms of how quick did it grow? How many people responded? And, and here Paul is praying that people and saying that the word of the Lord would spread, he's asking that people would believe and that there would be many people and that it would happen quickly. But it's not just this mere uh, numerical success for the sake of numerical success. It's a, uh, what we see here is, is Paul requesting a God-directed and a God-provided success for the gospel. He's praying that, uh, that not only would the gospel be shared, that it would uh, speed ahead, but that it would be honored. That's an interesting phrase to, to say that it would be honored is a reference to people receiving the gospel. If you flip back to 1 Thessalonians, just um, a few pages over in your Bible, you see in 1 Thessalonians 1, Paul talks about uh, the, the Thessalonians, how they receive the gospel. It says, uh, therefore, we don't need to say anything for uh, the report about the Thessalonians is uh, the kind of reception that Paul and uh, Silvanus and Timothy had when they came to Thess the Thessalonica, it says the kind of reception we had from you is that you turn to God from idols, that's repentance, to serve the living and true God, that's faith, and to wait for the Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. That's hope. They, they had repentance of faith and hope because of the gospel. And Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2.13 that we constantly thank God for you, the Thessalonians, the same people he's talking about in 2 Thessalonians, that when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as a human message, but as it truly is, the word of God, which is, also works effectively in you who believe. So what Paul is saying when he says that he prays that the word of the Lord would speed ahead and be honored is he's praying that the gospel would be shared and that the gospel would be received. That it would be believed, that people would trust in the gospel. And, and here we're reminded, uh, just in terms of the basic characteristic of the Christian life, is that prayer and evangelism are, uh, are intertwined and uh, should mark the lives of believers. That we're called... Uh, to talk to God about people, that's called intercession. And we're called to talk to people about God, that's called evangelism. And, and when we think about this, it's important to understand who's responsible for what. You see, in, in our praying and in our evangelism, sharing the gospel is our responsibility. But catch this, it's our responsibility empowered by God's Spirit. But the bearing of fruit through the sharing of the gospel is God's responsibility. We share the gospel and we trust God to bear fruit. We share the gospel, invite people to follow Christ, and trust God to bring people to him. So we have this encouragement as we think about Paul's praying for the spread of the gospel. It's this, he's saying, 
Let us be faithful to share, and God, would you be faithful to bear fruit in our sharing? It's a, it's a recognition of our dependence on God. It's, it's not just a bare responsibility that we need to white-knuckle it until, uh, until we have success. It's a dependence on God to bear fruit through us sharing the gospel. So it's really uh, a model that Paul shows us of persisting in praying for the spread of the gospel. We need to persist in praying for the spread of the gospel personally. Corporately, we want to do that. We want to pray for it in our city, in our community, in our region. We want to pray for it around our nation. That's why we give to the, uh, to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering that's focused on the work of the gospel spreading through church planting in North America. Uh, through church planting teams and church planters being raised up and sent out and supported. Every time a, a church is planted, an outpost of God's kingdom, a pillar of truth, a beacon of light is being planted for the sake of God's glory. And so we, we pray for that, we give to that in our nation, and we do that among the nations. Because we want one day for the glory of God to cover the earth just like the waters cover the sea. We want to see it spread out uh, over all this earth and among all nations. We want to persist in praying for the spread of the gospel. And as Paul does this, as he shares with the Thessalonians, he draws this personal um, reflection to them. He says, we pray that the word of the Lord would be spread rapidly and honored just as it was with you. He says, as you pray for the spread of the gospel, remember how the gospel spread to you. We, uh, perhaps more so than ever before, we uh, are aware of how things spread uh, in the world, right? Uh, as we've walked through a global pandemic, uh, and we we see things spreading almost in a in a viral sense. And I remember I remember at the beginning of March uh, uh, 2020 when the NBA shut down, and um, uh, and and it was like at first it was like Tom Hanks had it, and it was like that, that we might all be done if Tom Hanks has it. That might be the end of it right here. Um, and, and then all of a sudden, the per, somebody I knew and somebody else, and we started to see a terrible thing begin to spread, literally all over the world. And in some ways, we we know how it spreads. In other ways, it it doesn't always make sense to us how it spreads, how it spreads, and yet. As, as we think about that, obviously, as, as terrible as that has been, we think about the spread of the gospel, and we think about how, how it spreads. There's really no secret to it. It spreads when one person tells another person about Jesus. And behind that one person telling another person about Jesus is that person probably praying about God strengthening them to love, to share, to care. When, when we begin thinking about the spread of the gospel, we begin recognizing our, our inadequacy. We don't have all that it takes. I don't know how this is going to happen. That person, I don't know that. Well, there's a lot of people that I think might come to know Christ, but that person, I'm not sure they can come to know Christ. And just like the disciples, when uh, they faced a difficult circumstance, there was a, a child who uh, was possessed by a demon spirit, and the father brought the child to them, and they couldn't do anything. And, and Jesus comes to them, and he casts out this uh, evil spirit in this child, and he says, uh, this isn't possible except through prayer and fasting. Or when, when the, uh, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, he says, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you've got to put me first. Everything else has to go. And the rich young ruler walks away and the disciples are like, Jesus, how, how, if this, this guy came to you and asked to follow you, like, why you got to take it so hard on him? 
Like you, maybe you let him give up some things and he can follow you. But, but Jesus pointed to the one thing in his heart he wasn't willing to give up, his stuff. And, and the disciples are like, Jesus, if this guy can't follow you, who can follow you? And what does Jesus say? He says, what's impossible with man is possible with God. He's talking about salvation. The, the very person that you think is too far from God is impossible for God to work in their life. It's the very person that God says, you trust me for that. What's impossible with man is possible with God. How did God save you? Who did God use? If you're not careful, if you really love someone and you're willing to share the gospel with them and invite them to church, you might end up with them as your son. I'm looking at my parents here today. They weren't always my parents, but they became my parents, not only in Christ, but in real life, in part because they were willing to pray. They were willing to not only pick me up to church, but particularly it was lunch afterwards, the queso and the chips and Las Mas. I'm just kidding. It was more than that. It was the opening of their lives and the, the opening of God's word and the sharing of the gospel. How does God want to use us to spread the gospel? Who does God want to use you to reach with the gospel? I have two invitation cards that are on most of the uh, seats around you. And if you're at the end or near the end, there's a stack of these invitation cards. I, I, wanted, I want each of you to have two of them, if you would. Either the person at the end can pass them down or you can reach around uh, one of the seats near you uh, to grab them. We've asked this question at various times along the way in the life of our church. But uh, as we think about praying for the spread of the gospel... I want to ask it again and put it back on our radar. It's a simple question and yet a searching one that I think should challenge us all and provoke us all to continue to persist in praying for the spread of the gospel, not in a general sense, but in a specific sense or a Pacific sense, like my child says. Um, It's different than the Atlantic sense, but um, in a specific sense. You have two invitation cards. One I want you to keep and um, put in your Bible and think about inviting somebody. And the other one, somewhere on that card, I want you to answer this question. Who's your one? Who's the one person that you're going to commit to pray for? Maybe they don't know Christ. Maybe they're far from him. Maybe they're struggling. That God's put them in your life. He's put them on your heart. I can assure you, if you're thinking about them, Satan probably didn't provoke that. But you want to pray for the spread of the gospel for this specific person. And you want to pray for him by name. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a friend from your childhood. Maybe it's a friend from the gym. Maybe uh, it's... A classmate. I don't know who the person is. And you may say, Michael, I, as, I, as you ask me that, I hate being put on the spot and I, I don't have a good answer. Well, I want you to keep both of those cards and pray until God gives you an answer to that question. And let's persist together in praying for the spread of the gospel by praying specifically for the people that God has put around us. 
believing that God has us there so that the gospel may speed ahead and be honored. Paul prays for the spread of the gospel. Now, before you give me uh, the but you don't understand or the challenges, Paul gives us some challenges to the spread of the gospel. Look in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 2 through 3. It's like Paul knows my own spirit. And when I'm challenged in these ways, even as I thought about this challenge in my own life, I, there were some names that came to my mind that I've prayed for and maybe have struggled to persist in praying for and not seeing any movement in the relationship or unsure of how things are going to go and maybe thinking, well, maybe I missed the opportunity or maybe, maybe that's not who I should be praying for. I get the obstacles that come up in my mind. I was praying for them, but then they didn't seem interested or the opportunity didn't come. There are all kinds of challenges to the spread of the gospel. And Paul starts with himself and he says, uh, he says, pray also not only for the spread of the gospel, that we might be delivered from wicked and evil people for not all have faith. Paul's talking about people who oppose the gospel because they've rejected the faith that is in Christ. Uh, And if you go on a journey with me, look at Acts chapter 13, starting in verses uh, 40, starting in verse 48. Paul, Paul and, and Barnabas are sent out from the church at Antioch in Acts 13.1. They send them out to, to spread the gospel. Paul's already been active spreading and sharing the gospel up to this point um, after he came to faith in Christ, which you can read about in Acts 8. Um, and, uh, and it's clear that the, the spread of the gospel is happening all around Jerusalem and in the, the immediate area, but it's yet uh, to really break out until persecution happened in Acts 8 and Acts 11 persecution happened and it pushes out Christians who we don't even know their names, but they, as they're pushed out of Jerusalem, they go about sharing the gospel. And there's a church that was founded in Antioch because some believers came there and they started sharing the gospel with those who weren't Jews, those who were Greek background people. And the church is formed. And this church, knowing that they've been started because people came and shared the gospel, they say, hey, the spirit of God's working among them. We want to send people out to share the gospel. So they get Barnabas and Paul and they pray over them and they send them out to share the gospel. And as they go about sharing the gospel, they face some interesting experiences. They show up into town. They usually find a synagogue and they go to that synagogue and they start talking to people about how Jesus is the Messiah that the Old Testament points to. Some people are like, wow, that's pretty cool. I want to hear more. Other people are like, shut up and get out of our synagogue. And not only that, but get out of our town. And the opposition increases as they share the gospel. And so it says in Acts 13, 48, um, as they're sharing uh, the gospel and proclaiming it, it says there are some Gentiles who heard this and they rejoiced. And here's the word. They honored the word of the Lord and all who had been appointed to eternal life. Believe many people are believing and hearing the gospel and the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But there were some Jews at that time who had cited prominent God-fearing women and the leading men of the city, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. And they expelled them from the district. But Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off their feet against them and went on to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. They, They go to spread the gospel. God honors the gospel. People receive it, but they face opposition. And when they face opposition, they don't go underground. They don't crawl in a hole and they shake off the dust and they keep moving. This is just what Jesus told his disciples. You go into a town, they don't receive you, shake off the dust, keep going. So they do that and they go on. They go on to Iconium and they enter there into the synagogue and they begin speaking uh, the gospel. And there's some people um, who hear it and they, uh, they respond to, to the gospel. But it says in verse four, the people of the city were divided. 
some siding with the Jews, others with the apostles. And when an attempt was made both by the Jews and the Gentiles with the rulers in this area to mistreat and stone them, they found out about it and they sent Paul away. Now, at this point, I'm like, all right, we've had we've had a good run at it, but that was a close call. Maybe we should dial it back. You know, uh, we 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 got some we got some opposition. But what do they do? They go on to Lystra and Derby in verse seven there. They continued preaching the gospel. And and, and it continues to, to go on as they preach the gospel and they come to, to Lystra. The people go nuts over them proclaiming the gospel. They think they're gods. And Paul and Barnabas are like, listen, we're not gods. We're here to tell you about the one true and living God. Um, and, and it says that there were some Jews who came from Antioch and Iconium, some people who were mad about them from previous cities that they had been at that follow them uh, all the way here to Lystra. And it says that they, they took Paul they stoned him and they dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. And after the disciples gathered around him, he got back up and he went into the town that he had just been stoned in. And then it says the next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. And what do you think he did with Barnabas at Derby? He watched the racehorse, right? I'm just kidding. <clears throat> he went to Derby and he continued to preach the gospel. Paul's life testifies to this reality that people will oppose the gospel, but God is greater than any person who opposes the gospel. People will oppose the gospel, but God is greater than anyone who opposes the gospel. That means that that other person, those people who oppose the gospel aren't your problem. You can trust God Anytime you face people who oppose the gospel. And he goes on in verse 3 and he talks to the Thessalonians about their own struggles. You see, in, uh, in Thessalonica, in Acts 18, if you read the backstory, Paul comes to Thessalonica, preaches the gospel, and what happens? People respond, a church is formed, but then there's some people who come trying to persecute him, and he's run off and run out of town quickly. And because he's run out of town quickly, he's concerned for the Thessalonians. That's why he writes 1 Thessalonians and then why he writes 2 Thessalonians because he wants to check in on them and how their faith is doing. And he says in 2 Thessalonians 3.3, 3, he says, I'm not only praying that I would be delivered from wicked and evil people, but I'm praying. Say, he says, but the Lord is faithful. We know we can trust him. And I know that you can trust him because he will strengthen and guard you from the evil one. The Thessalonians began, those believers who responded to, to Christ there in Thessalonica, they began to experience persecution. And Paul was concerned that their experience in persecution would cause them to go, uh, you know, maybe following Christ isn't all that it cracked up to be. I'd rather have it easy and not be persecuted than to follow Christ and to be persecuted. Paul says, be, be confident that God is faithful and he will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. Just like uh, we saw in, in verse 2 that people will oppose the gospel, but God is greater than anyone who opposes the gospel. Here, we see that we have a real spiritual enemy, the evil one, but the one who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And just as we face real opposition and a real spiritual enemy, we have confidence that God is faithful. Paul, at the end of his life in 2 Timothy uh, chapter uh, 2, verses 8 through 9, he is imprisoned and enchained. And he's writing to Timothy, compelling him to be faithful, to finish well with the gospel. And he says in 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 9, he says, Remember Jesus, 
risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering. Paul says, I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. You can chain me up, but you can't chain the gospel up, Paul says. There's real challenges and real opposition to the spread of the gospel, but there is no challenge so great that we can't bring it to God in prayer and trust him to empower us to face it head on. And as we apply this to what it means to to make Christ known, to share the gospel, maybe you say to yourself, as you think about that challenge, maybe you're overwhelmed by, by perhaps the, um, uh, the, the response of other people. Maybe it's indifference. Maybe it's uh, opposition. Paul says the Lord is faithful. We can uh, trust that he is in control. Maybe when you think about sharing the gospel, I, I have this feel, fear. Maybe you're unsure of yourself. Maybe you, maybe you know a lot about God, but actually getting that out of your mouth and talking to somebody else about it makes you feel uncertain. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3.3, but God is faithful. We can trust him. Maybe you're afraid to risk the friendship that you have with a person when you start talking about Jesus. Verse 3 says God is faithful. He can sustain that friendship. Maybe you don't like confrontation. That's not your thing. To share the gospel and necessarily include saying, hey, I don't know if you agree or not, but you're a sinner. Good news is Jesus forgives sinners. Just like he forgave me. Maybe we feel that uh, sense of not liking confrontation. Verse 3 says, but the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen us. Maybe we feel like we don't know many unbelievers. The Lord is faithful. You can ask him and he'll provide. Maybe you have this sense of struggling with sin in your life. And you're like, I need to get this stuff under control before I go out and start telling other people about God. The Lord is faithful. Come to him and find forgiveness and freedom. Maybe you feel inadequate. Welcome to the club. And the Lord is faithful because our adequacy is not in us, but in him. The Lord is faithful for all the challenges we face in seeking to spread the gospel. I love that encouragement as he says, before he says that he will strengthen and guard you from the evil one. He reminds them with that simple and profound truth. The Lord is faithful. So what challenges do you face? What what obstacles are in your mind when you think about the name that you wrote down on that card? Or when you just think about the the desire to, to share the gospel with others? Whatever that challenge is, whatever that obstacle is, know that the Lord is faithful. Know that he's faithful. He will help. He will sustain. He will strengthen. And then finally, he concludes by turning our focus to the fuel for spreading the gospel. This fuel is, is valuable. Uh, it's cheaper than the fuel you'll buy at the gas pump these days. Um, <clears throat> except if you go the, the, the one on Carpenter, the Circle K, they're killing it. It's like 370 uh, there. Um, in fact, the other day I went into a gas station and uh, the other side of Ann Arbor, it was like 50 cents more there than it was at this other gas station. I was like... I'm not trying to be mean, but man, how is your gas so much more expensive? And he was like, well, would you like to pay my, pay my property tax bill? And I was like, okay, good point. Um, <clears throat> so go to the Circle K on Carpenter. <clears throat> that's, that's a free tip. But the fuel we're talking about here is what, what compels us and motivates us in the sharing of the gospel. And, and Paul says uh, in verse 4, he says, We have confidence in the Lord about you. 
that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. Here he's talking more broadly about their uh, responsibility to spread the gospel and just their, their own holiness, their own pursuit of Christ. He says, we're confident in, in your pursuit of God. Some of you need to be encouraged and, and grow. Some of you are already doing it, and you'll do it all the more. <clears throat> and and I, as I thought about this statement before he gets to the, to the final two points, um, <clears throat> really what we have here is this, this confidence in the power of God to work in and through us. Is, is, is part of what fuels the spread of the gospel. It's what fuels the Christian life, that God is able. And that's what he says here. He, he speaks to these believers in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We hear about how they faced hostility and persecution. We, we saw how they uh, were wrestling with false teachers and trying to discern what is true in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We, we even see how they struggled with Paul's own teaching about work and how there were some people among them who weren't willing to work. Um, and uh, so they were, all, it's, they were faithfully trying to follow Christ, and yet there were struggles among them. They didn't have it all put together. And, and yet Paul says here, I'm confident in God, in the Lord, about you. I, I love that encouragement. I think about our church, and there's a lot I love about our church. But my confidence isn't in us to faithfully follow God and to be about his mission. My confidence is in God to work in us and to work through us to do what he's called us to do. So to, to have confidence in the power of God to work in and through us fuels the spread of the gospel. But also we see in conclusion of verse 5 when he says with this final pray, may the Lord direct your hearts. A statement that refers not just to the inner feeling but the whole self. May he direct you to God's love and Christ's endurance. The power of God to work in and through us the love of God for us and expressed through us and the steadfastness of Christ for us and expressed through us. This is the fuel for the spread of the gospel, the power of God, the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. And here this statement at the end of Second Thessalonians parallels uh, what Paul says at the beginning um, in Second Thessalonians 1, 4 through 5. <clears throat> he says this, he says, we ourselves boast about you among God's churches because of your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and afflictions that you are enduring. It's a clear evidence of God's judgment against them and, um, and of God's work among you. And in 1 Thessalonians, uh, at the beginning there of chapter 1, he says, uh, We recall in the presence of God, this is verse 3, the work produced by your faith, the labor motivated by your love, and your endurance inspired by the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like this sense of love and endurance or steadfastness has permeated all that Paul has been praying for and desiring for the Thessalonians. And the same is true for us. To have the confidence and the power of God to work, the love of God that assures us that we are not our own, but we belong to him because of Christ. And that love of God isn't just being confident that God loves us, but it's when you know God loves you, it compels you to love others. Amen. And the steadfastness of Christ, which reminds us that Christ endured the cross on our behalf for the joy that was set before him. So that when we look at Christ and consider the steadfastness of Christ, it compels us to run the race that's set before us with endurance. 
to, to seek him, to, to persevere in following him and to making him known. One commentator reflecting on how the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ works both to remind us of what God has done for us as well as compels us to, to live it out. He says, go on focusing your heart and your mind on Jesus. Paul is saying, as you meditate on the steadfastness or patience of Christ, as you think about his strength under suffering, something of that patience will be given to you. And as that happens, you'll know the God, that God's love surrounds you and enables you to live the next day, the next week, the next month for God's glory. It's when we dwell on what Christ has accomplished for us and how his love was expressed for us that it compels us to express that love to others. When we remember his steadfastness for us, it, it compels us to remain steadfastness in our own pursuit of him. Charles Spurgeon said in only the way he could in reference to the love of God, Beloved, let the love of God to you flow into your hearts and abide there till it settles down and bears on its surface the cream of the love of God. Let it go all the way down until it comes all the way up with the cream of love to God, he says. So dwell on the love of God until it surfaces love to God, yielded by your own heart. The only way to love God is to let God's love to you dwell in your soul till it transforms you. Love to God grows out of love of God. Ref reflecting on how God loves us and expressed his love for us compels us to love others. So when we consider the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ, it fills us up with delight in God's love and his steadfastness, which in turn fuels us to live so that we might display and declare the love of God and remain steadfast in declaring the gospel of Christ to others. When we think about how to endure and, and persevere in praying for the spread of the gospel and how God would use us, we're not looking at strategy and technique and we're not considering uh, our own sufficiency. We're thinking about a God who has the power to work in impossible ways. We're thinking about the love of God, which we don't deserve, and yet he displayed for us on the cross. We're thinking about the steadfastness of Christ, which led him to, to suffer the, the judgment of God against our sin so that we wouldn't bear it, but we could experience forgiveness and freedom in him. If you keep thinking on that long enough, you can't help but be confident that God wants to work in you and through you. You can't help but be confident to know that there is a love so great that you can't help but show that to others, even in our imperfect way. And that there is a, a steadfastness, the steadfastness of Christ that will enable you to be faithful and to endure as you seek to live for him and to make him known. We want to be a church that prays for the work of God in us and the work of God through us. And that means nothing less than praying that God would use us to spread the gospel to others. Let's pray.